This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, December 8th, 2023. I'm Chris Foster. The Republican debates are done for the year. Donald Trump's never shown up, and he's still way on top in primary polls and neck and neck with President Biden. We're a long way from Election Day. There is a lot that can change from between now and then. What we have not seen change is the primary concern of the American voter today. It was their primary concern yesterday, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and it is the economy. Speaking with Fox's Sandra Smith. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Did you send your swab to 23andMe? Well, it turns out a hack of the company is worse than previously thought, and you might want to change your account password. Unfortunately, this hack is going to be prolific in the effects that it has, not just now, but over the next several years on vulnerable people. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. One more Republican debate's been announced before the Iowa caucuses in 38 days. Wednesday night's debate in Alabama was the fourth of the campaign. Well, we're going to win Iowa. I mean, I, what's happening on the ground there is cr- incredible. That prediction from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Fox and Friends the morning after the debate, so are the other three candidates on stage Wednesday. Vivek Ramaswamy held up a sign at the debate calling Nikki Haley corrupt. The people at home deserve to see every candidate for who they are. He's proven he's not a serious candidate, so I'm not going to deal with him anymore. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie says he wasn't talking about mental competency when he said former President Trump is unfit to serve. He's unfit because of his personality. He's unfit because of his con. And he's unfit because he's going to be a convicted felon. The former president never showed up at a single debate, which does not seem to matter much at all to a majority of Republican voters. Donald Trump is still very clearly the front runner. Fox's Sandra Smith co-anchors America Reports on Fox News Channel, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. The way the debates have changed things for the other candidates, it certainly worked in favor of Nikki Haley. She has shown to be picking up some momentum um, after these debates. Um, She's ahead of DeSantis, but just still so far away from Donald Trump. He's clearly the front runner. Um, You can make the case that the candidates on the stage are spending a lot of their time attacking each other, obviously all coming from within the, the same party and not as much time trying to take on the front runner in the party. It's a very odd dynamic because they don't I guess the hope is mm-hmm. I want to maybe have some luck in Iowa, have some luck in New Hampshire, have some luck in early states and then see where it goes from there. Or frankly just hope that in some way Donald Trump is incapacitated and can't be the nominee and I'll be there ready to pick up the mantle and run. But if that's the case, you can't you don't want to anger his supporters, you're going to need them down the road. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we know, there's a lot we don't know. And when it comes to politics, we're a long way from election day. There is a lot that can change from between now and then. What we have not seen change is the primary concern of the American voter today. It was their primary concern yesterday, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and it is the economy. Um, It's the economy stupid. The American voter right now says they don't feel good 
about the economy. They don't feel good about the future. They don't feel like their children are going to have a better life than they do. These are all huge concerns heading into Election Day. This reflects very poorly on the incumbent, obviously, um, Joe Biden. Um, They give him very poor ratings on the economy. But as we see in that head to head matchup, if it should be Joe Biden and Donald Trump, um, this is this is a very tight matchup. If you were to put Nikki Haley up against Joe Biden, a lot of the polling says Nikki Haley could win. Can she win the primary, though? That's the question. That's where we are today. Yeah, I remember Nikki Haley saying something along the lines of, well, Donald Trump added, you know, added added to the debt mm-hmm. in his one term and he would do it again and so we don't want that um but, but you're right there hasn't been a lot of agenda talk yet and maybe there won't be until the time comes um there's a there's a ways you can get really specific the jobs market right now um you're starting to see a lot of weakness in the um the jobs market this is something the biden administration has touted as part of their bidenomics that uh, the unemployment rate has been historically low under joe biden they have been able to say that um that That situation is changing right before our very eyes right now. Um, Republicans need to articulate a strategy where people are not only going back to work, but they're back to work in a rising wage environment. We're having to work longer hours and more days to pay for the sky high inflation that does not appear to be going away. Look, how often do you actually see prices come down? While the Biden administration has been able to tell us that prices are coming down from the elevated levels they ran up to. Right. Under this administration, well, the prices aren't going down. The prices are just going up slowly. The more rate slowly. at which they're going up, correct, very good, and that's a very important distinction. The rate by which they're going up is slowing. The prices are not coming down, and so we all have to figure out an economic environment where the American voter can thrive and be happy while prices are still elevated, and that's going to require wages going up. And that is a huge economic strategy that has to be articulated and eventually employed. A lot of people are not paying that much attention to this race like people in our business, and these listeners probably are. Um, You come from a business background. Where could we be in six months, eight months, ten months when people really are paying attention with the economy that could further hurt the president's standing? That's obviously a huge unknown. Um, I read a lot of Wall Street research reports. I try to soak in the Morgan Stanley's, the Goldman Sachs and everything they're putting out there. Um, Right now, the primary concern of most economists is the housing market. We're reaching unprecedented levels when it comes to mortgage rates. Rising interest rate environment is extremely painful for the American home buyer. Um, That sort of American dream idea seems to be fading. You're getting more people going into renting homes. They don't even see a future in owning a home. That's sort of changing the psychology for saving in this country right now. The one thing I keep talking to my team about that it's an interesting dynamic that I don't even think is being discussed enough is people like to talk about the resilience of the American consumer in the face of these sky high prices and inflation. Well, people are still spending, they report. Well, why is that? What where are they sacrificing? Are they moving back home with mom and dad? Right. Are they renting, not buying? Are they going into debt? Like there's a lot of things that are happening. So while we've been able to report that consumer spending is is still up, people, retail sales for the holidays are still strong. Well, why is that? And if the economic environment is as dire as those people who are still spending money say it is. What are they giving up? And we have to watch that. And we're certainly seeing that playing out in the housing market right now. You've got home prices now at levels we have never seen. At the same time, interest rates going up to try to fight off this inflation. 
This is becoming almost an impossible housing market in this country right now. Something has to give. So you ask what could change between now and Election Day? I would watch that very closely. Um, And the Fed has not said, by the way, that they're done raising interest rates. Until we get an economic environment that is painful enough to curb spending, to eventually weaken demand and bring prices down, you're not going to see a whole lot of you know, stopping from the Fed. They have to keep raising rates to get people to stop spending. Yep. Chris Christie's still kicking around. He says he's not going anywhere, even if his role... Look, he, he may think and that he can eke something out and, in New Hampshire and, and go from there. He says he's never going to drop out. He says if nothing else, his role can just be don't vote for Donald Trump. He's mm. a bad guy. And Um, he supported Nikki Haley last night. He really did. He had a moment. He stepped up when Ramaswamy, who I'll get to in a second, um, has been getting more personal with her. And Chrissy basically just said, you know, look, knock it off. She's an accomplished, smart, respectable Mm -hmm. woman. You know, stop. Um, Ramaswamy, I assume you talked to him. What's your take? has Has he changed from being this guy who maybe on a lark said, I, you know, I think I can do this to now that he's in it for then they the be- going on the better part of a year. Is he, is, he, is he a different guy? It's fair to say that with the reaction we've seen this morning that, that the, the attacks on Nikki Haley by Vivek Ramaswamy aren't helping him. Um, it, who, who, who told him he's got a woman problem? Right. I mean, so you don't want that stigma attached to you. Um, Ramaswamy certainly seems like he's on the defense. I don't think he believes he was is where he thought he would be at this point in the race, um, falling quickly behind Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis had an interesting approach last night. Um, I think if you're a Ron DeSantis voter, you're still a Ron DeSantis voter. That's not wavering. Nikki Haley has a lot of room to improve. Um, but she certainly is at one point, I think she said, okay, bring it fellas. You know, they were obviously on the attack. They see her as the biggest threat on that stage right now. Um, Look, I think her foreign policy chops shine on that stage, and they should. Uh, she's got the experience. She sort of hits Vivek Ramaswamy for that. Obviously, he's, a, he's the youngest youngest guy on the stage. Um, you know, and the, and the governor can lean on his experience in his state, and he can continue to tell all the successes he had during COVID. Um, that's something that voters find very attractive about him. And what I keep telling people, too, when I have a conversation about the debates, you can be a not great debater and still be a good leader. And I I don't think people forget that at home. They might not see it like the way the debate's happening on that stage, um, but they might in their mind see somebody that's capable of leading the country. Um, And when you see Nikki Haley gain some momentum, I think, I think people can see her being a good leader. Yeah. I mean, this is a bit of a, a a bit far afield, but in a year that Donald Trump is not Donald Trump, um, and, and, and breaking all the rules, essentially. Um, the, just the length of American presidential campaigns um, makes stuff more important than leadership. You know what I mean? Uh, you're exposed. Just do people want to do people like you? Mm-hmm. You have so much more time for people to like you or dislike mm-hmm. you as opposed to just look at your record. Yeah. You know, Nikki Haley, right at the end of the debate last night, had her daughter come up on stage. She said she's her daughter's like the first voice she listens to after that. She wants to hear her feedback. It's really important to her. I think she's in her early 20s. She just got married. They're very close. Her husband's uh, deployed overseas and she really leans on her family. There was a moment during the debate last night. I haven't heard this talked about a lot. Um, it was about the fentanyl crisis in this country right now. And she 
was very strategic in how she directed her message on how she's going to get a hold of the fentanyl crisis if elected by targeting sort of the middle of the country that's suffering through this. So it's sort of, you know, it's overlooked. It's not there's not a light shining on this as often as it should be. And that was really interesting. What we're 40 days out from Iowa for her to take that approach. Um, I think she's really, really good at letting the middle of the country know that she is there for them. She did that very well. Look, they all had their moments. They had good moments. They had bad moments. Um, The moderators, I think at at times they were able to stay out of it and let these guys go at it on the stage. But so far, you can make the case, and I think it's written up in just about every publication that Donald Trump staying out of it has benefited him. So I don't know. I don't know that a whole lot has changed, but I know that there's a lot of time between now and Election Day (laughs) that a lot can change. So uh, we'll be busy covering it. Sandra Smith, co-anchor of America's uh, Reports on FNC, 1 to 3 in the East, 10 in the West. Thanks, thank you Sandra. for having me. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Emily Campagno, host of the Fox True Crime Podcast. This week, I spoke to Dr. Maggie Zingman, whose daughter, Brittany Phillips, was raped and murdered in her apartment 19 years ago. Maggie travels across the country in her caravan to catch a killer on a mission to find answers to her daughter's cold case. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. In October, 23andMe, the genetic testing company, reported a breach into user data. A hacker published what they got. One million users of Jewish Ashkenazi descent, European descent, and 100,000 Chinese user data. They asked for anywhere from $1 to $10 for each account. The same hacker then said two weeks later they had data of 4 million people. We're talking about two groups that, frankly, in some places, um, have a target on their backs. And and that's really scary. Connecticut Attorney General William Tong sent a letter to 23andMe back in October after the breach was publicized, inquiring about how this happened and how much and what kind of data was released. Well, now the company itself is clarifying because they think hackers got into the accounts of about 14,000 people, and this led to the exposure of data for actually 6.9 million people. Now, Tong told this podcast he hasn't received an adequate response to his inquiry and now has even more questions. I need to understand what safeguards they had in place and whether those safeguards were consistent with Connecticut law. Um, we have we have a number of laws now. We have a, a notice law, a data breach law, safeguards law, data privacy law. All of these laws have pretty strong and strict requirements, and as do other states, and we want to make sure that they're compliant. 23andMe has said their systems weren't breached, that hackers got a hold of users' passwords and then tried to sell the data they got. It looks like they've taken uh, a bunch of genealogical data, so name, age, height. John Francesco is the founder and CEO of Applied AI Company. Uh, sometimes color of hair, sometimes some DNA data, but by and large, it's it's genealogical or biographical data. Yeah, I read it's not like... Uh, 
I read somebody wrote like it's not raw genetic data, but like the descriptor, like your percentage of Eastern European or North African or whatever. Is that like an accurate way to say it? Yeah, that's a really accurate way to look at it. Some data policy expert at Stanford said DNA currently doesn't have a clear market value for hackers, but that it's foolish to think it wouldn't have some value. I thought hackers didn't really care. They just want any data or information that's considered private to sell to whoever wants it. Like, isn't that the question is who buys this data and what do they do with it? Well, that is a great question, and I think the reason why a lot of researchers will claim that DNA data doesn't have any market data today is because there's no buyers. So if there if there was going to be a buyer for, for DNA data, it would be a state actor. Mm. But on the other hand, there are a tremendous number of buyers. Everybody who's a, a villain is in the market to buy genealogical or biographical data. And why is that? Like, why does somebody want to know that I am 23%, you know, Greek? Uh, so it's they not they don't necessarily want to know that you're twenty percent Greek. What they want to do is they want to utilize that data to set up an attack on your loved ones. And and unfortunately, we can say with a near one hundred percent certainty, there is some grandma uh, getting a phone call right now, and it'll sound something like this: uh, "Hi, Grandma Jeannie, I'm Doctor So and So. Do you have a, a daughter named Danielle who's five two with brown hair and weighs one hundred and fifteen pounds?" Grandma will say yes, and then this pretend doctor will say, well, I need your credit card information right now because she's heading into surgery. She's had an accident and, and we need to have a credit card on file to perform that surgery. Attacks like that are based on having this type of peripheral data. And unfortunately, this hack is going to be prolific in the effects that it has, not just now, but over the next several years on, on vulnerable people, people who uh, succumb to that type of attack. That's really interesting. So it's almost like it's used to fill out the 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 data that you might that you might need. It's used to add on almost to to a future attack. That's exactly right. And that's so if you, if somebody calls you and they already have all of your biographical data and they have the biographical data of all your relatives and by the way that's exactly what they've captured because this site enables users to travel laterally across people's genealogies across their families to collect that data. That so it has given the bad guys a map on how to just attack people. And and by the way, these attacks don't just happen once. Once they figure out that your grandma's vulnerable, she will be attacked relentlessly, basically till the end of time and until until she stops picking up the phone. This John, this all started in October, right? A couple months ago. The hackers clearly thought there was value to DNA profiles or or 23andMe profiles, I should say, from people who were Jewish of Ashkenazi descent, so European Jews, and Chinese people, right? That they specifically went after that particular data? That is the report. It is unclear as to why they would do that. Obviously, given world events, there are some really horrifying reasons that people might have chosen to do that. I think what's more likely is that the hackers themselves had had some biases on who they were going to choose to attack. And a 99% chance that this was purely driven, not on ideological basis, but uh, on, on biases around wealth. Yeah, somebody, um, I think, told Wired back after this happened in October that 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 description, the, the Jewish Ashkenazi descent and Chinese descent, that that represented sort of the underbelly of the Internet, I think were his words. Is, is that what you're saying, that that there's some biases that people who live in this hacker world have? 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, there are bad guys out there, and unsurprisingly, if you if you're if you're a villain in one part of your life, the type of life that would drive you to to hack somebody, you probably also have villainous beliefs uh, as it relates to to other people. You might be a bigoted person. Those things are are absolutely connected. So, it, it's unfortunate, but not surprising to me that they would have done something like that. Let's talk about the how. Um, 23andMe said, hey, we weren't breached. Our networks weren't breached. Hackers stole this much data by guessing our clients' passwords. What is that? How did that happen? What does that mean? Well, I, I think there's two separate matters when it comes to this question. And, and then the first one has to do with the liability of the company, which I have to say, without a full audit, it's impossible to give a 100% answer here. But it, this looks very bad. Uh, in terms of the actual technicals, ostensibly what they did is they went online and they purchased other exposed data so passwords and names from other websites that you can buy on the dark web and then they just went to 23andme and kept trying those names and passwords until they worked there are some obvious defenses of defenses by the way that 23andme knew about that could have protected against this they did not have those universally implemented mm. and that allowed individuals the bad guys to get into the network and to just move across the network it looks like uh, at least five million people have been affected perhaps a greater number so wait let, just to clarify you're saying some hackers go on go on the dark web they buy this data they they buy this broad data that that shows our usernames and passwords for other sites or or usernames and passwords that are associated with us and then they use those passwords and usernames and apply it to 23andme to see if like i'm just reusing the same password over and over again on multiple different sites Absolutely. That, that is exactly how this works. And that's why once you've been victimized once, the bad guys tend to come back and back and back. I mean, these are bad people and they are relentless. Okay. Um, and I don't know if this is, I also found this confusing, but 23andMe said the hackers access the personal data of less than 1% of their users, 14,000 people, but somehow through that managed to access the personal data of five and a half million people who opted into their DNA relatives feature and 1.4 million people who had their family tree profile information access. How, how do you go from, well, 14,000 people had their data accessed to 6.9 million people in total having their personal information accessed? Uh, well, that's a that's a great question. And, and and this is how the bad guys think, right? That, so they just need a window in. And in this case, the window in was those passwords and usernames. But once they were in, they were able to use the features of the 23andMe system, which think about it, it's like Facebook, right? You have all these friends, these connections. Now, in this case, these connections were based on genealogy and, and, and DNA relatives, right? That, so they were able to move across the network using connections built into the system to gather data about all of the individuals who were related or had shared information with other individuals on the site. And that's what makes this particular attack so dangerous because once I get information on the first person, I can then use that to target the next person because I can have this biological or biographical data. So when I call you pretending that I'm a doctor or a police officer or an IRS agent and I need money, I'm not calling because I want the money from you, uh, wink, wink. I'm calling it because your relative needs help. And how else would I have all this information on your relative? Well, basically 23andMe, through their use case, just handed that over to these guys. Okay. So finally, John, um, if if they're saying if 23andMe says or any company says look we weren't we weren't breached um you know this is really on on you you need to change your password or whatever is that is that sufficient or or do, does a company like 23andMe need to actually do something like for example when i log into like 
access my medical data, I have that two-factor authentication thing where I not only enter a password, but then I they send my phone um, a text message with a code, and I have to enter in that code on top of entering my password. Does 23andMe need to like commit to doing that or something else? Is like is part of this on them? So I have to say, in, in cybersecurity, everybody's vulnerable. Me, you, your company, every company, federal government, everybody. You have to take reasonable actions that marry the threat you face. So on a personal level, right? You you have strong passwords. You change them regularly. You have antivirus software. If you if your company sells Cracker Jacks, right, you got to have some security, but not that much. This company is a medical data company. They have the utmost responsibility. And, and frankly, if you look at their filings, and I have taken the time to look at their filings to previous SEC reports, they state more than 50 times that security is a major issue. And they explicitly outlined how important it is to keep data safe, how many regulations, more than a dozen, that they're subject to. And how negative the impact would be on their company if they were breached. So they knew well in advance that this was a big issue. And in 2019, they implemented the tooling that could have prevented this, but they didn't force their users to do it. And I don't know if that's for financial reasons or convenience reasons. They didn't do it. Uh, Let me just say this. The the former CISO, Chief Information Security Officer of SolarWinds, that had a major breach in 2020, he is currently under SEC investigation. If I was the chief security officer of 23andMe, if I was David Baker, or if I was the the CAO there, uh, Kathy Hibbs, I would be hiring some serious, serious legal support right now because this really requires some investigation. And uh, there is definitely some liability here. Where that rests, you need an investigation to know. But uh, I have to say that, again, tie goes to the runner in cybersecurity. If it comes out they were implementing these things, then you have to let them slide. But but on the face of it, the things they needed to do, things they knew to do, uh, were not implemented. And that's why this happened. John Francesco, founder and CEO of Applied AI Company, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. Richard Davenport recently got an early Christmas gift, the keys to his new mortgage-free home. Richard is Sergeant Richard Davenport, a retired U.S. Army sergeant and Purple Heart recipient who served in both the Army and the Navy for a total of 11 years. Now, the nonprofit group Building Homes for Heroes has honored Sergeant Davenport with a home in Clarksville, Tennessee. While he was deployed in Afghanistan in 2010, he suffered a serious brain injury. Building Homes for Heroes says Sergeant Davenport was injured when his vehicle hit an IED, causing him to hit his head on the window. He's not only been honored with a Purple Heart, but also a National Defense Service Medal, an Army Good Conduct Medal, and several others. Building Homes for Heroes began after the attacks of September 11, 2001, and its goal is to reach 400 homes by 2024. Sergeant Davenport's home means they're one step closer to the goal. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News.
I'm Dana Perino. This week on Perino on Politics, I'm joined by Fox News Radio political analyst Josh Kroshar as we dig into the impact of the Israel-Hamas war on the 2024 presidential election cycle and so much more. Available now on foxnewspodcast.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Laren. What's on your mind? Since the dawn of language, older generations have struggled to keep pace with all the new words and phrases invented by young people. That concept and struggle still applies in 2023. Not only has Gen Z birthed its own language, one of those words has made it all the way to Oxford's 2023 Word of the Year. And that word is Riz. What the heck is Riz? Well, according to young people, if you have to ask, you probably don't have it. The word Riz derives from the actual word charisma. So if you have Riz, you have the X factor, the personality, the pizzazz. The term is most often used on social media by the 25 and under crowd, and even my fellow elder millennials likely don't know what the heck it means. But Riz was selected by public vote and edged out other popular words such as Swifty. But at least Oxford did not select an imaginary gender or a social justice warrior catchphrase, and for that, I am grateful. Riz it up, America. I'm Tommy Laren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Laren is Fearless at Outkick.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.